what is a real life corporation that you would want to include in your D and D game? Ooh, this is a good one. Like, like what would the Amazon of, <laughs> of Faerun look like? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, um, I would love to have Amazon because you would be able to have like shipping to directly to your adventuring party. So like, wow. imagine you're in a dungeon and it's like, I'm out of torches. I'm just going to order off of, you know, like this Amazon thing or just having an assistant that which you can ask things like Alexa, mm. like that would be so cool. Like, what does this lock need to open it? <laughs> so I would have a wizard who has an assistant. Yes. Who's like highly intelligent, whose name is Alexa. Yes. And she has a magic spell book oh that gosh. has all the world's knowledge. And so it's he's turning into a green text. <laughs> <laughs> I think, um... For me, I like the idea of like, um, I don't know, mercenary companies and stuff like that are really cool. Like kind of like Blackwater, um, that's just like really shady. Paramilitary, but yeah. But if if we're talking about just not necessarily corporations, but like organizations too, mm-hmm. um, I'm so bummed I didn't get a chance to use them. But I've been planning this faction in Waterdeep um, that my players just picked a path where they never showed up. Um, but kind of like. Uh, who are those crazy people who get on uh, boats and they like fight Japanese whalers with water? Uh, PETA? And is, is it PETA or Greenpeace or like one of those kind of eco-terrorist organizations? I really like the concept of that. Like the a group of druids that um, <laughs> is just like fighting against the industrial world. Um, mm. And like they're just no completely either chaotic good or chaotic neutral depending on which uh, industrial organization they're combating. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I really like that. You took my answer because I was going to say PETA because um, it's really easy oh. to take any extremist organization and just like really push them into um, even more obscure or sorry, um, outlandish extremes. Um, yeah. Yeah. I remember PETA would make sense with like goblins and like justifying like, no, no, no kobolds are, have souls too. <laughs> like, <laughs> Uh, yeah. Um, I guess if I have to change my answer, hmm, I would do something, uh, I want to say Apple, but not, I wouldn't do it as Apple of today. Just, just insert your, your least favorite, um, corporation here, right? Like Salesforce, where it's just a lot of people work in it. I don't know. Uh, let me think on this. Another interesting thing would be to have some sort of like NASA, but for exploring different dimensions and planes so it's like they're like national like planar exploration division where they're just they're just going out and just trying to figure out how to get to different planes and explore them and do research and maybe you could have like an independent corporation that's starting their own like planar travel division you know elon Mm. musk wink wink you know yeah yeah yeah. it would start off with a bunch of wizards who kind of get together and start pooling resources and next thing you know you have like the world gate that just you can walk right into uh, another plane. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That'd be really cool. Yeah. Hmm. That is cool. I like just um, like imitating colleges and universities where like, um, you know, a town might pool together their resources to send their one magic adept son to go to like the arcane university, um, which is, I guess, kind of like the, the Oxford University of our world. Um, I like there being different schools of magic that have kind of their own... Uh, campuses and majors and programs for like academics oh that's really fun because then you aren't there eight schools of magic right uh uh 
I believe so. Yes. I mean, then you could just literally have schools of magic that train them. Oh, and you go to different ones. Yeah. And then there are the different bard colleges, too. And the, yeah. Oh, I'm having flashbacks to our class episodes. Oh. Welcome to Vox Arcana. I'm William. I'm Jake. I'm David. And this is a podcast about tabletop RPGs, game design, and advice for all game masters. This is episode 36, Organizations and Factions. Our first question is, what is a faction? All right, so defining a faction. Um, So I would consider a faction like a really vague word for maybe a more specific organization. Mm like uh, they have a it's specific purpose that people in the organization or faction, those words are kind of interchangeable. Yeah. Um, but they're kind of a network of individuals that work together for a common good. Um, and that's, that's super vague. Um, and it can mean a lot of different things, but basically it's kind of tied in to the world building of D&D. Mm-hmm. Like the uh, types of factions you have in your game really defines what kind of world you have. Right, like if we're playing in Dark Sun, which is this post-apocalyptic world, uh, you would have factions that are more like Mad Max things, right? Yeah. Like these warlords that mm-hmm. rule this your war boys. desert tribe, yeah, mm-hmm. who do crazy stuff. Or if you're running more of like a Game of Thrones thing, then you're obviously going to have uh, houses and kingdoms and um, stuff like that. So yeah, so like it wouldn't make sense if there was like a bureaucratic faction no. in like the. Uh, like a bureaucratic faction in the post-apocalyptic setting and it wouldn't make sense for there to be like a uh, Pony Express Old West Postal Service in like the uh, Game of Thrones setting. So it's like, yeah, certain factions just make sense in different universes or different uh, worlds. Although it would be interesting to see what reason there would be for a Pony Express in, you know, a Game of Thrones setting or mm. a business oh, yeah. in a post-apocalyptic <laughs> I feel, Just, well, yeah, like a bureaucracy in Mad Max has a, um, like a fallout vault kind of vibe yes. where they're so out of touch with the world and they're still just doing what they've always done. Mm-hmm. So when I think of a faction, I tend to think of a group of people that has a few central ideas that they surround. So let's say you have a, a faction about raising undead. So, you know, you're going to have themes of like necromancy, of, uh, dealing with death, maybe uh, forbidden nature because mm-hmm. necromancy is kind of generally taboo in D&D in most settings. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're going to have a, a few central ideas that that are going to be held in this group and then that's just going to be what they kind of focus on. Mm. So I have a question about the difference between like a faction and an organization. Is that different... From like a family or a tribe. So like would your extended family be a faction? Or would like the tribe you're randomly born into be a faction? I mean I guess it could be. Like if there's a barbarian tribe then in your game they would be um, a faction. But I think the the kind of thing we're talking about is specifically a, a organization of like-minded people. Who have decided to band together or join yes. up in such a way to accomplish a common goal. So your family can become a faction if you all kind of work together and think the same way. That's how mafia works. (laughs) Which is a mafia. (laughs) So if you think about an orc clan where they want to 
reclaim the world and they will have that same central theme. That would be an orc faction. But if you have other orcs who aren't necessarily agreeing with them, they're not going to be a part of that faction, even though they're still orcs or they may be related. Mm-hmm. And I think you use yeah. you also use the word organization. And I think that's also different because an organization is more of a... It can be almost like a business or an enterprise where not everybody has the same ideals, but they're all working together. It's almost a network. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And whereas a faction is different because I feel like in that everyone kind of shares the same ideals, Mm -hmm. if that makes sense. That's true. Like if you you get hired at a corporate job or really most jobs and um, people might not necessarily share the same worldview or the same goals. They just happen to work at the same place. Whereas a faction is much more like, you know, I'm a Patriots fan or whatever, yes. right? I've chosen this identity for myself because I have a common interest. Not to get political, See, but I, political parties are essentially factions yeah. when you boil it down. Yeah, I I think it's a choice. Like the main thing is like consent. Like you mm-hmm. people in a faction want to be there where it's like if you're just born into a random family, that doesn't make you part of the, you know, the the Barton faction. Um, I'm part of the Barton the faction. Barton faction. <laughs> <laughs> You will be. <laughs> no, this is a good discussion because in your world, um, you're going to be building factions and organizations and they serve different purposes. Um, but for our purposes in this episode, I want to kind of go through um, why we're going to uh, use them and, and specifically how to create really compelling factions. So, um, Jake, you mentioned that factions can be a part of your world building and the tone of your world influences the tone of the uh factions you have i feel like we're saying factions a lot um we're gonna say it a lot more uh so yeah <laughs> could we get get uh, ready somebody can get a faction counter please and tweet us at vox arcana pod is that right jake yes yeah um and tell us how many <laughs> times we say faction 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 um okay in addition to world building they are tone anchors they make your world feel more alive and dynamic because you've got these uh consistent presences personalities powers principalities and so on, uh, that are in your game. Yeah, I think it's a great way to, um, you know, enhance your tone. Like, if you want your tone to be a little more dark and gritty, like, have a, yeah, a necromancy league. Um, or have a, a group of slave traders. Mm. Or, you know, there are all these different ways to um, make your world, you can kind of lean your world into a different tonal direction with the factions you choose to show to the players. Right. And I imagine in your world, all of your factions, like all of them, trade slaves. Right? There's no obvious good or bad faction because they're all kind of bad because they're doing bad things. Yeah. Um, but they're mm-hmm. different in other ways. Like, just think of how dark that world is now because of this one little fact. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, it's also fun because factions give a consistency. It... Um, it builds in an almost systemic interaction for the players. Like there are perks for joining and it unlocks new quests for you to do. And um, maybe as you level up or rank up within the organization, uh, they give you access to things you would never have access to, such as uh, weapons and boats and whatever you need. Yeah. I think there needs to be, when you introduce your players to different factions, I think there needs to be one, an option for one or more of the players to join that faction if they so choose. Um, And also, uh, both perks and like d- disadvantages for joining. Um, like you, they, they could be offered, Hey, everyone who joins our guild gets a bag of holding, Ooh. but you know, they uh, might be sus- susceptible to losing this amount of health to the blood mother every full moon. <laughs> oh, no. wow. So so it's like, the it's like, mother. Oh, 
you know, or like, okay, you get this really good magic item, but you have to become a vampire. Ooh. Um, mm. So it's like, give them, there has to be pros and cons, because if you give the players a choice to join an organization that has only pros, they're obviously going to join and there won't be any complications. And if you give them with a faction with terrible like no advantages at all just pure disadvantages they're just going to ignore it completely so it has to be that complicated <laughs> middle ground that push and pull yeah i think that the the worst affection is uh the the less enticing it should be but also you want to have those trade-offs imagine there's like a extremely lawful good group of crusaders essentially yeah. and they give you really mm -hmm. insane perks but you have to carry a standard with their emblem on it high above your oh. head everywhere you go or else you instantly lose the perks right and Ooh, so that i love yeah that. so it's like this like everyone hates you the towns won't serve you because you're this invading force yeah um then that's the trade-off well, even yeah I like the idea of even um it they might not necessarily hate you but they know your intentions almost immediately yes um, like there are certain factions, um, you know, like think like the League of Shadows or the Thieves Guild or the Assassin, the group of assassins. They might not necessarily, I mean, they obviously aren't going to have a banner saying I'm part of the Assassin's <laughs> Guild. Um, but like other uh, more uh, expansive networks or um, bureaucratic systems, you know, like think a Paladin Order. Yeah, they're going to have a battle standard around them. They're going to have armor with an insignia on the uh, the pauldrons. And people are going to be able to make judgments about um, your character if you're a part of it. Or you can make judgments about other NPCs based on the faction that they um, are familiar with. Yeah, that's one of the things I really like most about factions is that they provide consistency to your world. Where Structure. when you interact with the faction, you kind of get an idea of what they're going to be striving towards, what they're going to want how they're going to react if you screw them over things like that so it kind of gives players an idea of how your world works and it gives it structure yes i, I really like when when players enter a new town kind of on a fringe settlement of the republic and they see um you know an order order of the gauntlet paladin they're just like okay i get it i know like they, they can already make assumptions about this this town because there's an order of the gauntlet presence there's a paladin here um and you can do that all the time with, with new towns or new places they visit based on what factions they're already familiar with. You can kind of drop them in there um, in order for them to kind of make assumptions and you can kind of lead them certain directions or, or give them certain bits of information without just outright saying it. This is, I'm getting excited for factions. As we mentioned, factions give different plot hooks to the GM. These are all tools in your belt. So, um, and it's almost like a select your own experience for the players. So if I give them, do you want to join the holy path of these divine crusaders or do you want to join the thieves guild? Um, depending on what the players go to, you know that they are more interested in that type of game. So if they want to run a battle game, maybe you have a faction that's, um, I, to put it in Skyrim terms, is like the fighters guild. Like there's going to be a lot of battles and fighting in this. Or if you want subterfuge and stealth, you go here or so on, right? Um, and so your players tell you what they want and enjoy based on the factions they choose. Yeah, and, but at the same time, the players don't feel like they're checking a box or being interviewed about how they want the campaign to go. But it really is kind of that. It, it shows you what kind of game the players want without you outright asking. Mm -hmm. um, and then finally, it gives you a chance to create flavorful recurring NPCs, whether that's the faction leader or your handler or whatever. Um, 
these are people that come back to time and again, and so you can actually take the time to flesh them out and give them a little bit more of a backstory instead of just that tavern innkeeper, um, you know, Dora the Explorer. Oh, God. <laughs> no, I think it's um, another really important thing that Dungeon Masters have to realize is that um, we, we always caution against getting caught up in world building mm-hmm. um, where you just kind of build this massive huge plane of existence with all of these different cities and each city is all these different factions but the bottom line if one of your players doesn't have a connection with one of these factions or at least an option of being with them um, or there's no npc that shows up or there's no presence of the faction it might as well not exist to the players wow you have to show these factions to the players sometimes with big bold signs um because yeah if there's some crazy merchants guild from the northern wasteland like if you never meet them the players are just going to forget that they're just they're not going to remember that at all so if you want a faction to be um involved in the campaign have many of the npcs be a part of that faction or give the players the option to join or encourage players when they're making their characters to already be a part of that faction in their backstory um, to make sure it's front and center if you want it to be. Yeah, that's, I can't um, emphasize this enough, Jake, but I, I just so agree. Like, don't waste your time building things that the players never get to see. And if you do yeah. invest the time, put it front and center in front of them so they can't miss it because D&D is no place for subtlety. No. <laughs> no. It. And I wish it was. I wish we had the medium where everyone was like a trained uh, voice actor that was hunting for clues in this <laughs> massive world you built. But no, if you want something done, you kind of uh, – you have to use a sledgehammer more <laughs> often than like an artisan's brush. Yes. <laughs> now, this is my favorite part. Um, I'm trying – So one of my New Year's resolutions is just to give more practical advice on the podcast. Um, So here we are. Here I am trying to give you some actual steps to walk through to create a faction. Uh, Jake, are you with me? Oh, I am. Okay. So uh, here is Faction Creation Class 101. Welcome. Um, You're late already. (laughs) Darn it. Uh, Jake, spit out that gum and let's move on to the first point, which is the rule of three. You've heard us talk about this before because it's really a great, um, what do they call it? Uh, thumb rule? Rule of thumb. That's the one. Rule of thumb. I like thumb rule. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so um, the rule of three is that you just keep it simple. If you're going to make factions, I recommend making three. Um, and if you want to get really fancy, then you would say you make three major factions, like very much bigger organizations, and then three minor factions. So major would be something like the empire of the region you're in, and a minor would be a local thieves guild. But for now, we're just going to make three factions of various kinds. Uh, Jake, I think that alignment is something that you definitely love. So uh, why don't you tell us about alignment and factions? (laughs) So alignment, um, you know, whether you love it or hate it, um, it, it's kind of good for giving ground rules um, or just expectations for how something works. Um, This oftentimes when you have like deep interwoven characters, giving them alignment can kind of be limiting. You know, you can kind of shoehorn them into a box. Um, but giving alignment to factions, um, not even outwardly, not saying, Hey, we're the thieves guild. We're a chaotic neutral faction. (laughs) Um, no, I'm not, I'm not saying that, but for you personally, when you're building, it's, it might be good to kind of consider what, what is their alignment? Um, what is their overarching kind of theme? Are they like a true lawful neutral? They care about the order and just suppressing rebellions and following the rules to a T 
or are they um, something that just represents pure chaos um, and maybe it's Feywild magic full of tricksters and, you know, uh, maybe it's a, a bard college that's devoted to complete and total chaos. Or the rebellion. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, or the rebellion. Like, And is the rebellion, uh, if the rebellion is chaotic in response to the lawful neutral bureaucracy of the empire, then does it lean more towards chaotic good? Like these are pretty obviously the good guys. Or is it more towards chaotic neutral or chaotic evil? Where maybe this is kind of a group of, um, you know, think French Revolution, just kind of eating their own, Oof. killing anyone who disagrees with them uh, type of rebellion. Oof. So really um, kind of leaning into the direction of, are, is this more lawful or is this more uh, chaotic or is it more good or evil will really determine the direction of your faction um, as you're building it. Yeah, I think this is all great advice. Um, but I could also say... You can pick a specific like lawful good or neutral evil or whatever, but um, you could also just go up a level and say everyone in my faction is lawful, but they can fall into any of the three categories in that. Ah, uh, yeah. Like a crusader yeah. army, I guarantee they're you know they're following rules, but within that, you're going to have some evil, some good, some neutral people, and so yeah. on. And that goes for any faction. I also that think is that, really good. I also think that it gives good guidelines for role playing them, mm -hmm. and so when you know that your faction is lawful evil. Or just no. evil. Or just uh, evil in general. Yeah. You or it would of, be chaotic, I think. Is or chaotic true. evil. You kind of know the types of decisions that they're going to make or the goals that yeah. they're going to have. Yeah. It informs and, how you play. And it's fun to think about, um, you know, even like think of Robin Hood and his merry men. Mm -hmm. um, you know, if you're part – if you are a party of all paladins that are part of the Order of the Gauntlet, those <laughs> – Robin Hood and his merry men – might look a little more, well, definitely chaotic, but more towards chaotic, neutral, or evil mm -hmm. um, from your perspective. So really think about the players and what kind of players you have. Um, and as you're building these factions or choosing to include certain factions, think about how the how they look from the player's perspective. Mm -hmm. uh, because that'll oftentimes change kind of the angle at which um, you can use these organizations. From my point of view, the Jedi are evil! <laughs> But this this brings up a really good point that I kind of touched on before about having your factions be gray. Um, and, and because so often it's easy to say, oh, this is obviously the good guy faction because, look, they're helping orphans. And this is obviously the bad guy faction because they're killing babies or whatever, right? Like it's D&D, which is no place for subtlety. Um, but it's important to keep it gray because nobody's really good. Like even look at any organization or faction and you will find both good and bad people there even in 2019. Absolutely. I think um, I've, like I've said, I've just finishing up the Dragon Heist uh, adventure for fifth edition. Um, and they do a really good job of having like the crime lords um, and the multiple different factions and the crime lords and how some of them hate each other, some of them love each other, and just the complex network of interactions. Mm -hmm. But the bottom line is the crime lords have kind of this total control over their respective organizations. Um, and it's almost a self-survival thing. Like they just, they want to, all their goals are purely selfish. Um, so they might not even fall into um, good or bad or lawful or neutral. They'll just do what it takes to survive. Um, and I really think that falls into the the shades of gray. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, I, I've run into this in my games. Um, I, when I first started, um, I had a very simple uh, like Rise of Tiamat game, and I just, you know, I was new to the game, was really just wanted to lean into the tropes. And so my first uh, my first campaign, uh, one of the good guy factions was the Order of the Gauntlet, uh, which is like um, I included all clerics and many monks and paladins and any of the, the good 
like uh, healer types um, classes. They could be from this this order, and the order was like lawful good. Hmm. Um, and then as I kept playing in the game, it worked great. Like they would see, oh great, the paladins are here, or they'd be like, oh sweet. Um, but then I realized that kind of stagnated and it's like, okay, these are always the good guys. They're always going to be the cavalry that shows up. They're always going to be, um, there, there wasn't enough gray. Hmm. Um, so I, I, I lean them towards more towards lawful neutral to make them more bureaucratic, more, um, utilitarian. Um, so some characters are being, would begin to see them as, um, a little too lawful for their taste. Um, and it's kind of morphed, and this is unique to me because I've played so many games in my universe. Um, it's been cool to Rub see it in. the... Uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, I've been very lucky in that. But it's been cool to see the factions change and grow and morph and sometimes even split um, over time. Um, it's been really cool to see uh, how catastrophic events will change how a faction reacts. Um, but I think it's good to have factions that are shades of gray... Um, but also have room to change or uh, be reformed um, if, you know, big events happen in the universe or big choices are made by the characters within those factions. That's really cool, Jake. Um, it makes me think that the way you have had events progress, like having a faction that was always lawful good and, and reliably a good guy, but then as the players, like not the characters, but as the players gain experience in this game, um, you've mm -hmm. made it more complicated and less obvious. Just almost mirroring the progression of us as human beings yes. um, who perceive the world a certain way when we're younger and inexperienced. And as we gain experience, we realize it's not so simple or so good. Yeah. 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 And really, I I want to say it doesn't um, take a lot of work. Like I thought, oh my gosh, it would take a lot of you know planning and oh, how does this reaction do to this one? But really it just takes spending time in the universe. Mm -hmm. And like I said, I, I am rubbing it in. I'm very lucky to be able to play D&D <laughs> oftentimes twice a week uh, indefinitely. And so doing so has allowed me just to live in this living, breathing world enough to give me that verisimilitude of, oh, yeah, this enormous faction would react to this mm -hmm. catastrophic event in this way, and it would change it like that. And so it doesn't take six hours of bookkeeping um, to keep, you know, my factions in check. Um, it just takes living in the world that I created in order to to see how they would react naturally. Um, do you write any of this down, Jake, or is it all in your head? Um, I wrote quite a bit of it down, uh, but at this point, like I've said, uh, my different groups of players that are going through my world and the kind of campaigns and legacy events set up, they're beginning to diverge mm -hmm. um, in ways that the universes are looking different. So I almost might have like a, a you know, DC universe, like Earth 1, Earth 2, Earth 3. Multiverse. And kind of, yeah, like plot how the multiverse has changed based on the different adventuring parties and how they affected it. Um, mm -hmm. So I only have kind of the base of my world written down, but I really... I might start exploring how my players uh, have changed the world, how they've altered the uh, things. Because it, it is crazy, you know, like I'll be playing with one group and be like, oh, yeah, this group would definitely do this. But it's like, oh, wait, no, 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 that they would not because they haven't been reformed by that level 15 paladin from the first adventure. So they'd still be more bureaucratic. Mm. Um, so it's like it's really cool to see the players actions affect the organizations and networks and factions within the game. What a delight it must be to play in one of your games, Jake. Nice. All right, um, this next piece of advice really changed the way I think about designing factions, and that is create a motto 
or a mission statement for the faction. Yes. So even something as simple as all heretics must die. Ooh. Like th- <laughs> this informs everything that you're doing. And I, yeah. and I would encourage you to keep it in one very short sentence. Kill the infidel. Oh, that's so good. Yeah. Like maybe you have, yeah. um, imagine you have a small goblin faction that is um, always barter, right? They're always going to try oh, yeah. to trade. <laughs> and, and now you know how uh. to role play them. So okay, let's let's do this as a challenge. I wanted us each to think of uh, a motto and see how that what that uh, faction would look like. Mm, okay. So uh, I've got one. So like, uh, heal all the sick. Oh. Okay. So that would be like a cleric organization, but like they would heal everyone, even like orc invaders. Um, oh. And like I bet like the 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 kingdom would be really pissed at them because you know they heal all the sick it's very neutral and so that good. would really get put them in tension yeah that would that would really put them in tension with other organizations that might be more political or utilitarian it, it's almost getting into that PETA area again where they believe yeah. that yeah, all yeah. life is sacred and yeah um like healing gnolls and stuff that are like injured oh. and like... <laughs> oh yeah it's already it's creating problems in spite of its uh, apparently noble goals yeah. yes yes hmm. so g- give me one what's a what's a motto and what would that faction look like with that Ooh, motto? my motto would be um magic is only for the worthy Ooh. oh so this elitist. this faction is very elitist uh they're so I, I imagine wizards um probably not sorcerers yes. because they uh, have a very specific like gatekeeping style rules to keep yes. the bad people yeah. out and only the worthy can join and so um already i'm getting some evil or some chaotic vibes yeah um, yeah, but you can. I mean, you can join if you're worthy. If you're worthy, yeah. Ooh. I mean, almost lawful too, because you kind of have magic in the set. Yeah, like um, these set rules. of standard rules. Mm-hmm. Like you have to do this, or you have to pass this test to be considered a mage. Um, it, oh, that's really. If this good. faction was empowered, then they would really have a, a stranglehold on who can and cannot cast magic, and they yeah. get to label whoever cannot, whoever hasn't passed their tests, is a heretic, or um, you know, or a terrorist, or a terrorist. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's really a good. Terrific. I mean, I can see already playing as a like sorcerer, like a, maybe a wild magic sorcerer in this setting, and you would just see, be seen as like a chaotic threat yeah, to society. He's, he's unlicensed and a danger to all around him. <laughs> An unlicensed sorcerer. Oh, I can already see the character arc. Yeah. Or and like the struggle to want to change that world. Like, you know, like maybe if that sorcerer gets to level eighteen they can reform that organization and change it into something that's more open mm. and good and noble. And so now oh, that's so cool. it, it's really fun. Um, I would just add that because it's a faction and not an individual, um, we can have lots of people approach the party and um, you have lots of combat and fights without any danger of like defeating the big villain. And even if you do defeat the big villain, there's 10 more of him standing yes. you know, in line to, for power. So yes, very useful tool. All right, David, do you have a motto? Absolutely. Okay, the motto is "Kill the gods." Oh, Ooh. <laughs> that's so cool! This, it makes me oh. think of like the opposite of a Cthulhuian cult, where instead of trying to summon Cthulhu, they believe in like acquiring power. Mm-hmm. 
Oh yeah, or that like like it's coming war is it's almost like uh, the old Norse mythology of like Ragnarok, mm-hmm. um, like there's going to be something involving the gods that ends the world, and so we need to end the gods before that happens. That's yeah. great. So oh this my faction, God, I love that. One. I can see them either being like just insane barbarians who never yeah. advance very far, or like a ex- explorers guild, archaeologist guild type of thing who are recovering artifacts because they actually know how to kill the gods. Yeah, and they're oh, like, like they have a MacGuffin that would like blow up uh, Mount Olympus. Yes, <laughs> like we no longer need the gods. Like we're past them. Ooh, let's oh. end them. So they could be like they could be like technocrats that like believe yeah. in um, industry and like they could be a bunch of artificers yeah. that are like creating. That was my technology. Yeah, oh, which would be so really good. good. But and, like, there's all these oh. ideas are so interesting. So from yeah, just from mile. as we've just experienced now, one sentence has informed so much world building, but it's important yeah. to keep that so short and focused because I, I find that um, the more easily digestible something is, the more powerful it is. Yeah, it packs a punch, and I would yeah, I'm surprised we got that deep with yeah, just literally, and not even a long sentence, like a few words. I think all of ours are like under six words. Yeah, that's <laughs> is terrific. Um, yeah. So as long as we're defining factions, um, and we're keeping them very simple because we don't want to write novels on things that players can't interact with, uh, I would yeah. think of factions much like people and that they're going to have personalities, specifically here, strengths, weaknesses, and goals. So um, some examples. Oh, yeah. Um, Jake, do you have any examples you can think of? I would say maybe like, um, I'm thinking of like the Xanathar Guild from uh, the uh, Dragon Heist I'm running. Mm-hmm. Um, like they have advantages of being very loyal. Um, so, but the Xanathar, so he doesn't have to worry about like infighting. Um, but most of the recruits to the Xanathar guild are lower intelligence. Mm. Um, so they're often like hobgoblins or, um, or goblins or kobolds or, um, you know, the lower strata of society. And so they aren't going to be able to be very clever. Mm. Um, and that's why it might be easier to do heists on them because they, uh, you know, are not going to be very, very uh, intellectual when they're trying to defend against stuff like that. So, so the loyalty allows the Xanathar to have complete an iron grip on the control, but their weakness is um, just stupidity and kind of using brute force instead of intelligence. Uh, what would you say the goal of the Xanathar's guild is? Oh, the goal. This one, it, it's more focused on Xanathar as a villain, so it's just pure selfish survivable like capitalism selfish ambition yes and pure ambition of a singular uh, a tyrant Hmm. so um the one i thought of is the empire from star wars Mm. Uh, i would say their strength is they have nearly limitless resources enough to just build a new death star every few years apparently um (laughs) the weaknesses that we see exploited are um i think there's some corruption Right, like um, minor infighting, like you always get in, in, in any bureaucratic organization, military organization, uh, and also the bureaucracy um, creates these gaps that can be exploited by much smaller factions. Their engineering also has design flaws. So, <laughs> yeah, um, <laughs> watch Rogue One, David. So I think the uh, the goal of the Empire would be total control at all costs. Yeah. Yeah. And that's weird because you were saying like their weaknesses, I guess, corruption, you know, bureaucracy. And I'm just like, I mean, they're an autocracy. But I'm realizing I'm thinking of the empire from the view of like the rebels mm. or like the audience. But like if you look at the empire's strengths and weaknesses from like just looking at the empire, that faction, um, that very expansive faction. Yeah. Like it's 
being an autocracy um, is not a weakness, really. It's a strength more than anything. <laughs> yeah. But once you get to weird. a massive size that's spanning continents and planets, um, yeah. there's a degree of control that's lost. Yeah, you can take yeah. advantage of the bureaucracy. Yeah. Yeah. We talk about the rebellion in Star Wars as well as a faction. Oh, yeah, yeah. You just go the opposite way. So <laughs> we have I no think their resources. Strengths, <laughs> their their weaknesses are definitely their resources. Uh, I, I like how they have competing goals against the Empire, and then also their independent nature makes them much more resilient. Mm-hmm. Uh, the fact that they're fighting for an ideal gives them power against the empire so a strength would be almost like the uh moral high ground yes right they are apparently yeah, the good no, guys noble yeah Though i would argue we even also even we within all know, the faction you know what happens when you have the high ground <laughs> it's over anakin i have the high ground <laughs> uh and then yeah weaknesses um, are resources and i think their goal is just yeah um, what would be their motive it, it's like restoration of the um What's it called? The uh, Council? The Republic. The, the Republic. Yeah, restoring the Republic. The Senate. So it would be their established democracy is their goal. It's a good goal. Hmm. Um, I'm trying to think of other ones more smaller because those are both huge. The, yeah, I those are large. I don't think of those as factions. Yeah. I'm trying to think of um, smaller organizations like um, even like local thieves guilds mm-hmm. um, or local rebellions. I think you can see that tension between um, how uh, tyrannical uh, or like how much of an iron grip does the leader have on the organization in relation to like how much infighting there is. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you think of a thieves guild or like an assassin's guild or like a group um, that has more nebulous uh, interactions with the society, um, a lot of times there isn't like a, a total leader. Like maybe they have a, uh, a group that meets uh it's a little more democratic, but because of that, a lot of times the faction can be pitted against itself. Um, I think it's really fun as a DM to introduce a faction uh, to the players where there's a lot of infighting, mm. um, where you can almost pick who to support um, to be the leader of that of that organization. And doing so will change the direction of the organization. Like, do you want to pick the tyrant that'll give complete and total control and there'll be less infighting? Um, or do you want to pick the more uh, democratic but crazy and chaotic side? <laughs> um, and doing so will change the the faction itself. Mm-hmm. Um, but I like giving the players that choice to kind of be like, which competing side, which <laughs> faction of the faction do you want to support? It's almost like a fraction of the faction. <laughs> oh my gosh! <laughs> oh, now that's good advice. Um, if you want to have a um, a fracture. Uh, or a yeah, schism within a faction. And I like, Jake, how you set it up. Like, either you get the um, <laughs> insane but helpfully democratic guy, or you get the uh, tyrant who's currently running the guild. Um, that kind of internal politicking is always fun. Yeah. I, I think for me, studying um, history and politics, you can see, like, there's, oh my, there's so much gray and there's so much, like, um, goods and bads um especially like the think of the french revolution it's like you can look at characters and be like are they good or bad it's like they're fighting for such an ideal but at what cost using what means um and oh it's so i love really the debates about people looking at certain characters and like bloody revolutions and conflicts and being like are they good guys or bad guys um because they're just very complicated so yeah 
Yeah, I, I like, but at the same time, I don't want to be like, hey, make your make your factions really, really complicated. Because a lot of times when, when a faction is introduced to the players, especially for the first time, uh, they should easily be able to tell what their intentions are, um, and the group should be much more cohesive. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's cool to introduce complications and fractions in the factions uh, <laughs> later on. Um, but I think it's really good to have, like like we said earlier, that one sentence motto that the players can be like, oh yeah, okay, this group is th- this kind. They're the group of druids that protect the forest. Um, and and make it make it very simple in the beginning. And then as they join the faction or interact with the faction, um, it, you can see the, uh, the complications arise out of it. Uh, but make sure those complications come later. Don't just introduce your players and say, hey, so this faction uh, has been fighting for three years oh with these group of people, but they also want these people, but they just elected this guy, but he hates it. Th- it's like no. the players are falling asleep or running <laughs> at that point. <laughs> um, so it's good to have it simple up front and then add complications as you live and breathe in the world um, or join or interact with the faction more and more. I couldn't agree any more than I already do. Um, the last thing I would add is just to make sure your factions have competing goals. Um, like Jake's saying, yes. like you probably don't start off with the infighting and the internal conflict. Just keep the factions separate, but make sure they want the same things for different reasons. Um, in so in such a way that they they put the players at the center of a lot of problems. Yes, this is um this has been the bread and butter of Dragon Heist because there are so many um in the in the book. There's kind of different adventure paths, and you kind of pick a villain. Well, you pick a season, and that has a corresponding villain. Um, which is pretty neat, um, but I wanted to include all of the villains and all of the factions Good call. Um, and, and kind of give the players uh, the option to choose to ally with some or choose to go against war with others. Um, and each time they ally with one faction, that makes them hated by another faction. Like, I love how there's factions where you cannot be friends with both. Hmm. Um, and that's that's really fun when they try to play both sides or they see the consequences of allying with this person makes them absolutely hated by another faction. Um, but one thing I want to ask you guys about, um, I really like these competing goals and stuff, but I think my group is very well armed uh, to deal with kind of the social uh, ramifications of that and kind of the in- intra-party drama that arises from that. Because a lot of times, the rogue is going to be a member of the Thieves' Guild and the Paladin is going to be a member of the Order of the Gauntlet. Mm. So how do you how do you balance or how do you... Uh, Go about um, different party or different party members having affiliations with different factions that have very different goals. Well, if you have, it depends upon your players because if you have players who are more competitive and are less role play focused, then it's going to be hard to kind of pit them against each other because then it's just going to be unfun for everyone there. But if you have players yeah. like yourself who are more role play oriented then you can kind of just, when when you send them on a quest, maybe uh, the Order of the Gauntlet requests them to like retrieve this item without killing anyone, and the Thieves' Guild says to do it no matter the cost. So mm-hmm. so you have those, when you go to like plan to retrieve the item, there's going to be you know tension between the two parties, and that will come up, and that's kind of fun to deal with if you have players who are capable of role-playing well Mm. Mm -hmm. yeah i don't know if there's uh an easy answer to this question because i really don't like inter-party conflict i like inter-party tension when it is sort of like role-played well 
Um, and that's a hard balance. It is a hard balance. tension often turns into conflict. It, it often <laughs> does. Um, so I think if every player is in a different faction, or most of them are in different factions that are kind of aligned by class or alignment, um, then you can have problems. I would try to make the effort to make sure the players realize that it's sort of us versus them instead of us versus us. Yes. Um, yes. So this way they're thinking about how to pit factions against each other or or kind of get the maximum benefit from everything instead of like, well, yes. my handler told me to do this and that contradicts you, so I'm just going to kill you and take it, you know, inside the party. So yeah. see, I really I really like that um that interparty conflict like I said, but I think um one thing that we have been talking about doing with factions is you kind of treat the faction as a whole. Um, I think as a DM, if you have younger players or more inexperienced players, it's good to also treat the party as a whole. Mm. So the order of the gauntlet won't approach the paladin and say, we need you to do this. The order of the gauntlet will approach the entire party and say, we need all of you guys to do this. Mm. So there's really no chance of pitting anyone against each other. I mean, they can argue about whether the group wants to join or not. Um, but there isn't going to be that tension that leads to conflict um, because they're treating – the faction is treating the entire group as a cohesive unit, not like individual parts to be manipulated. That's yeah, really that's one of the things that I uh, – I have a kind of a different idea where I almost don't want my party to join any factions. If I'm running a game, I wouldn't want them to mm -hmm. be – order of the gauntlet party it's they can interact with them and they can kind of work with them but i don't know that i would want you know my party to be this faction or my party mm -hmm. to be of the thieves guild they might work with the thieves guild or have connections there or have obligations to the thieves guild but they're not they didn't ever join they'll them. never be the thieves I, guild i like or that. Join that i i agree unless you're the whole party is on the same page or you're willing to split the party all the time um yeah. It really doesn't make sense for any party member to join a faction like, for example, the uh, uh, City city Watch, like, right? Like, yeah. what if you're, uh, you know, your uh, half-work fighter uh, is really enamored with the leader of this City Watch and he decides to join? Um, it's like, when you guys are going to go into the mountains to, to fight the dragon, <laughs> the, the half-work is now a part of the City Watch. Yeah, he can't <laughs> so leave. He, yeah, exactly. So I think it's, it's really important to, yeah... Not have your factions approach and be like, join us, join us, join us. Yeah. Um, but basically have how it always is in video games. Have the factions approach and say, we'd like you to do this. Yeah. We'll pay you this much gold to do this. Yeah. Um, not, hey, sign this. It, almost like a warlock patron. <laughs> sign this. Sign your soul over to us um, so the DM can pull strings to make you change the world the way he wants. <laughs> like, um, yeah, make sure it's it's an invitation to do a task as opposed to an invitation to like join because that's a huge commitment that the players might not realize they're making yeah yeah i think that's really smart because then you can have instead of like oh i've committed I'm, i've joined this one faction and now i can't join any others it's um more like world of warcraft's reputation tracking right mm -hmm. like i have good yes. standing with yes. this group and, and really not good standing with um like the bilgewater cartel <laughs> <laughs> bilgewater cartel the, the bills mafia <laughs> that's <laughs> How mafia works. <laughs> All right. The one of the last things we're gonna do uh, for our faction is we're gonna choose one cool thing, one memorable, obvious thing about their setup. And I have a few categories of this. Um, first, I have the all of one thing or none of something. Um, and so all this means is that um, 
typically everyone in a faction shares a common interest or a commonality. Um, for instance, you could have a faction that's all female or all one race or, or one class, right? That's very simple. Uh-huh. All one alignment we already talked about, uh, but most commonly all of one goal. Um, in the example of the all-female faction, I'm sure you could come up with a, with myriad reasons as to why that is. I think of the most recent season of Walking Dead. Um, they come across oh, yeah. a group yeah. of all – it's like a, like a tribe of survivors who are all women because someone else had come in and to punish them had killed all of the males in their group. And I'm like, mm. holy crap, like that is brutal. Um, yeah. and so it says a lot about and, – and, and it informs a lot about how they – operate and their mission statement interesting yeah i think one of the, the cool factions in Waterdeep dragon heist is the brigandarth uh which is a um it's led by jarlaxel and it's the uh the, they're all drow um so it's all dark elves um and i really like that because it's like um it says in the in the adventure module itself it says like they probably won't interact with um any party member that's not a drow hmm. Um, and so it's like, wow, a lot of people might miss this or Jarlaxle might just end up being the villain or something. Um, but in my party, um, one of the characters is a half elf and the elven part is drow. Hmm. Um, so he actually got, actually got to interact, um, and not necessarily join the Brig and Dareth, but interact with Jarlaxle in a way that he, he might, um, not otherwise be able. Hmm. So yeah, having kind of an exclusionary group, um, or having, like you said, all one thing where they're all one class, one uh, race, one gender can be can be pretty interesting, right? You know, because if there's like an all barbarian guild, mm -hmm. um, yeah, like it kind of limits, um, like they would have no reason to interact. Mm -hmm. um, but that's also another thing. If you you have a party that's like maybe all spellcasters, having like the Valhalla guild that's a bunch of barbarians might not be worth even mentioning because they would have no reason to interact with your party. Right. Yeah, that, and therefore, the party would have no reason to interact with them. That's one of the things that I was just about to say is that you can be strategic in how you can design these factions because if you know your party doesn't have a drow and you want to make an all-drow faction, it's probably wise that you don't because there's going to be no reason for them to interact with them. So you can use what your party like has strategically so like let's say your party has a gnome and there's a gnomish faction Ooh. you can you can or you can even create a gnomish faction and be like what would this look like and provide really cool ways for your players to interact instead of designing things that the players really have no reason to interact with yeah so another option um adding on to that is yeah maybe don't include them or make them villains um, it's really mm -hmm. good to, um, like, if there's, like I was saying earlier, a group of, a party of all spellcasters, maybe that barbarian guild, like, hates spellcasting, and they don't want it in their northern city. So they just start, you know, they they would be antagonist in that situation. Mm. Or if it's based on um, the, like, heritage or, like, race of a character, um, if there's maybe a, a group, almost like the, the Ku Klux Klan, who just hates tieflings. Mm. And maybe introduce that if there are two tieflings um, in your party. And the party, of course, agrees to that, like, kind of really <laughs> disgustingly racist kind of uh, aspect to it. Yeah. But that, you know, they would make good villains. Um, I've played, I've been playing Red Dead, <laughs> Red Dead Redemption 2 a lot. And um, there's, I came across a clan meeting. <laughs> I just, uh, just threw dynamite right in there. <laughs> um, and it, and it gave me good honor. Like it gave me positive. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, that's really funny. Uh, so yeah, you can have horrific factions that might have no reason 
no good reason to interact with the party, but they would make great villains. They would make a great um, kind of antagonist group. No, that's that's great advice, Jake. Um, so as I said, this is the all of one thing and none of the other um, kind of thought process. So you can either have like all of one thing um, and or none of something. So this is like a common disdain or dislike. So you might have a faction that is it doesn't include certain races. So this is like a racist thing, right? Like we have every race in the game, but no gnomes or no this or that. Um, you could have maybe they don't allow certain spell schools. Um, oh, yeah, or, that's cool. Or the one I thought of is just they don't allow people with uh, who come from nobility, right? Like this is an Ooh. underclass. Or maybe people who only come from nobility are allowed. Yeah. that Yeah, I really like that um, a faction being... Yeah, because it's it's much different in like the modern um, in the modern world where it's like factions are more like business enterprises mm -hmm. and you know a job, so they're just higher and there's just kind of this not really this loyalty or, or differential between the different uh, businesses or factions, but like yeah, in this you can really dig into um, what they exclude and what they include, um, and that can really inform what the faction is and how good they are, how bad they are. And what their intentions are. Maybe you have a faction that's farmers only. City folks just don't get it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh. <laughs> Continuing on with the one cool thing. So we figured out how to kind of organize your factions by their uh, common interests or common disdains. I would also urge you to have a memorable faction base. Some examples uh, I would include is the, the Haunted Mansion. Not the Haunted Mansion, but a Haunted Mansion. Um, mm, we've that's a good one. We've seen thieves' guilds and sewers a lot, so maybe you would have something where the thieves' guild is in a sewer pipe at the top of a waterfall, right? Like behind the waterfall. Um, mm -hmm. You could have their hideout is in a magical demiplane. I think in Harry Potter they did that with Sirius Black's house, where it, it existed oh, yeah. be between two houses on the street. Um, yeah. What other examples for cool bases could we use? Um, I'm thinking maybe an airship. Mm, yeah, um, I was just going to say like a floating or... island in oh, the sky. Yes. Yeah. Or an underwater yeah. swamp. Oh, a grotto? I was going to say like an underwater swamp lair, like uh, the Legion of Doom. Do they have under a swamp? Oh, yeah. Yeah, they have a, they have a base yeah. that rises out of the swamp. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I think um, all of these things are, are really important because a lot of times uh too much to our sadness as dungeon masters um we'll have this cool thing and then maybe they aren't present for a few sessions and the players are like oh yeah we have to go help the what were they the the, the one faction um you know the leader was a guy that stuttered um you know and it's like even though they don't remember like the exact name it's like uh that is the ruby enclave um it's like no they still remember that one thing to make it memorable mm -hmm. and so i think all of these one cool things like maybe it's an all uh, orc faction or maybe what whatever the one specific thing they'll be able to call back and it'll kind of jog their memory be like oh no that's that those are those um those necromancers that live in that giant skull underwater <laughs> you know it's like yeah. <laughs> it's like they will uh, be able to call back much easier than like a really kind of vague faction. You want to have those little specific punches, those one cool things to jog players' memories and make you know the, the factions themselves more memorable. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you want something that's inter interesting and identifiable for them that will be like, yes, that's the dudes that live in the like giant tree. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
Um, one of the last things is choosing a symbol. Uh, this might not come into play as much unless you describe it a lot. Because um, I know that all the current factions in the game um, that we've mentioned, like the Lord's Alliance and the Order of the Gauntlet, um, they do have a, an emblem. And so inside the game, like I mentioned, the paladins that carry this battle standard with their their emblem on it. Um, just think about what it would look like. Like if we're the factions we made up before, like my um, magic is only for the the worthy. I'm sure that their standard would have something with magic and lightning bolts and um, worthiness, elitism. Yeah, elitism. <laughs> It'd probably be gold or yeah, yeah. It's, it's just a a wizard hat. Yeah, wizard hat on a pole. <laughs> I, I think this is important. Um, for me, uh, I've used some of the factions from 5e canon, um, which we'll talk about a little bit later. Um, I, I like really pushing this hard, being like, okay, you see a group of paladins approaching you, and they have this this gray flag with a golden fist emblazoned in the middle. Um, and so I keep <sighs> doing that, keep keep that um, that repetition. So eventually later on, I'll say, okay, there's a corpse. Um, and I won't say it's a corpse of the Order of the Gauntlet. I'll say... You see a corpse, and there's a pin on it that um, just is a, a golden fist. Mm-hmm. And so I won't explain to them what that is, but any keen player should be like, "Oh, oh, oh! This, this is this, they were a part of the Order of the Gauntlet." Um, so really, like as you're building your world, really kind of have repetition to be like what what um, these people are like or what their symbolism is. Mm-hmm. But then at a certain point, you kind of let go, and you have to put it on the players to um, realize. Uh, what symbols mean what, and and yeah, it's hard to know when that point is, um, but eventually reward the players for remembering like symbols or symbolism. Mm-hmm. It's like finding an Easter egg. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, because the players well, and it also helps. Like it legitimately gives them an advantage later in the game when they're like, "Wait, this is the symbol of the royal family that's after us. We should probably get out of here." You know? <laughs> yeah, it's always good to have players. Uh, once again, players and not characters gain experience in this type of game because then they feel a sense of uh-huh. completeness and um satisfaction when they they recognize symbols and immersion yeah like it feels great as a dm when you when your players is like oh wait he mentioned he's from this city and this city is known for their merchant lord so he's probably affiliated with one of them mm. at, at that point i'm just like oh yes yes <laughs> like it's so <laughs> exciting for like people to connect the dots um and really appreciate your world building um and so but you have to give repetition of the symbols and of the phrases in order for them to eventually, and for us to be rewarded as dungeon masters for giving that information earlier on. If a player wants to serve a faction for a long time, you might want to start tracking their um, experience within the faction. But I don't want to call it experience because the dungeon master's guide calls it renown. So renown ah, is, um, yes. they say it's a number that goes up, um, I believe, maybe to 20 so it's a pretty small scale. Um, this is an optional rule. You can find it in Chapter 1 of the DMG. But um, essentially, it just gives you advances within an organization, and perks for joining, and perks for staying with them. So uh, if you're joining a Thieves' Guild or even just serving a Thieves' Guild, they might give you items that help you. Um, if I'm putting it in World of Warcraft terms, I would think of a whistle that summons a handful of cut purses to come and uh, like distract uh, people in a oh, crowd. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh. yeah. So just something yeah. like that. I, I... I think um, tracking renown, uh, maybe if they're not even like necessarily pledged to an organization, just rewarding them with um, what would we call it? like reputation. Yeah. Um, rewarding the players for serving them or being loyal or just doing a bunch of tasks for them. 
Um, so what are some rewards? Like what are like you, you're talking about earlier? What are some creative rewards other than like just gold or um, you know what are some ways to reward characters for serving or helping um, or just doing fetch it quests? for an organization or faction for a long time? Well, the first one I think of is faction housing. There's a safe house that you could oh, always yeah. go to and, and remain safe. Um, think of those in, in Grand Theft Auto in all the games. You can go into a garage that repaints your car. You give them the D&D &D equivalent <laughs> of that. Yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, gosh. I, yeah, I like, yeah, just free tasks. Um, even if they aren't, they don't have to be like crazy good, but just kind of if you say, hey, you'd help this merchant's guild, you get... Um, Free haircuts and beard trimmings and clothes. <laughs> See, that has no tangible effect on the mechanical game itself. But if you give them that option, the players will be like, oh, heck yeah, I'm going to go get, you know, I'm going to style my beard or I'm going to color my hair different or I'm going to get some flamboyant clothes just because that option is suddenly free. <laughs> That's funny. It's just a way to give out, um, they're almost like non-perk perks. But it's something that excites players. Even like maybe you unlock a tattoo shop and now you can get tattoos and maybe if you're really yeah. good you can get magical tattoos yeah that give little buffs that maybe give fire resistance for one minute a day or something like that um i think that's super cool there was a magical tattoo um i forget if i made it up or if a player made it up but it was a tattoo of a knife on their forearm and they can say a command word and a knife pops out of their arm and into their hand Oh, that's really cool. Mm -hmm. That's it's like a Derringer pistol, exactly, or like, or yeah. the Assassin's that's... Creed uh, wrist blades. Yeah, the hidden blade. That's so cool. Yeah, I um, I really like finding um, unique ways to reward um, people for helping a certain faction. But even standard stuff like gold, um, even maybe an NPC guide, mm -hmm. um, uh, maybe a magic item, um, treasure map. I know for one of my camp, yeah, a map that maybe um, that would help them out. Uh, for me, one of the uh, campaigns I do is the characters are essentially like Republic Navy SEALs. Um, so they're kind of like strike teams that are sent in by the government to like infiltrate um, and, you know, capture a prisoner or just go through a dungeon. Um, and the way I rewarded them is they get like a weekly or monthly pension because um, a lot of times people will, uh, you know, they'll do all this stuff and they'll realize, crap, we don't have any gold. It's like we can't even, you know, how are we going to make gold? Um, so it's nice to kind of have that, you know, you get this money every um, every week or month. And also, I made it really, I gave a lot of incentives to, to keep staying with the Navy SEALs is they have access to all the, the Republic military bases and they get a Republic-issued um, bag of holding hmm. just for, for, you know, doing enough missions. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's really important to reward um, players um, with maybe things they weren't expecting. Um, to kind of uh, increase that loyalty or just willingness to to do tasks. Because eventually, you know, with a thousand different guilds approaching you to do various, you know, there's a bunch of rats in my cellar, can you please help me? I'll give you 15 copper. You know, eventually those start to wear a little thin and you got to start being more creative and give better rewards. Especially I'll give higher you 16 levels. copper. <laughs> I wouldn't stop to pick up 16 copper. <laughs> <laughs> um, just a small correction uh, in the Dungeon Master's Guide uh, in Chapter 1 under Factions and Organizations um, they suggest each faction has a um, sort of 50 points is the max you can get in a faction so typically a mission will earn you 2 or 3 uh, uh, renown that helps you rank up and acquire more stuff yeah 
Yeah, and it, so that that's the one where it talks about the different five E official canon factions, right? Yeah, and these are um, not my favorite, so uh, I guess I'll just run through them, and Jake, you can tell me what they are. So yeah, I actually use a number of these in my game, so I, I can I can tell you what they are, and I can tell you what they are in my game. Okay, and um, I think I know why. I just I'm I'm going to sleep just reading through this list. Uh, they don't have one cool thing, and they don't have a motto that I can attach myself to, and I don't know yep. their goals. Like I could probably read up on them, but I could fit that in yeah. a small block of text in a, in a text document, right? Okay, so the first one is the Harpers. Yep. So the Harpers are, um, I believe, they're kind of just the good guys. They're like the Robin Hood good guys. Mm. Um, they care about the weak. They care about. I'm thinking of like the the railroad in uh, Fallout Four. Mm. Um, or even the Minutemen, like they're, they're kind of just like the generic, we care about the little guy. We're not elitist. I was going to say, you think the railroad is the good guys? Oh, Oh, (laughs) (laughs) die. Institute. (laughs) Hashtag Institute for life. Hashtag Institute for life. (laughs) Oh man. Um, so yeah, the Harpers, they're pretty standard. I think the reason all these are standard and not very unique uh, and campaign specific is because these are used, I believe, in Adventurers League. Like you can only you, like be in adventure with people in the same faction to make things smoother. No, I, I don't think and that's so, right. But each player is in their own faction, and they have like faction contacts that give them quests and magic items. So oh, so it's kind of a streamline for the DM. Yeah. Okay. To to make to get them to the action instead of them wandering around town. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Okay. That's interesting. Yeah. So. Uh, what's next? Uh, next is the Order of the Gauntlet. So yeah, we've been talking about this one a lot. I think this is the standard Paladin Order. Um, it's pretty generic, and when I started using them, they were pretty generic. Um, but, you know, over the course of, in my world, like 800 years (laughs) and four different campaigns, uh, it has changed quite a bit and has become a little more interesting. Um, I think, so yeah, they're, they're kind of the, I think, more lawful good. Um, they're, you know... I don't think they include clerics in like they do in my world, but in the canon version, they it's just paladins, and they're like a paladin order that kind of seeks to keep the peace. It almost works as the Jedi, like they're kind of sent as peacekeepers, um, not like ground shock troops. Okay, um, if I'm correct. Hmm. Next is the Emerald Enclave. So Emerald Enclave standard druids. Um, these are if you're going to be a ranger, if you're going to be a druid, if you're going to be. Uh, someone that works out maybe an oath of ancients paladin um they're more not rural they're more um in the wilderness um and they care about you know they'd be a little more anti-industrial and care about the trees and are more aligned with the elves um but like like you said the the, it's intentionally vague i think Mm. um there isn't one cool thing it's just kind of like all right you can fit a bunch of stuff into that do what you want with it next is the lord's alliance so this is the only one that is not in my game because I, it's just, isn't it just like an alliance of elite nobles? Like it's like noble families that kind of um, have the interests of the city-states and nations more in heart than like the people. So they're kind of against the Harpers in that way that they're more kind of about money and power and keeping the empire stable. Hmm. So it's right? like the Rotary Club? <laughs> you know what? exactly (laughs) (laughs) yeah this i just don't find a a a need for them i like to have other various guilds and different um 
politics of cities that it just kind of doesn't make sense for there to be this overarching thing. Yeah. Uh, and the last one is probably the most interesting, but also still snoozy for me, the Zintarim. Yeah. So I think it, it might, I call it the Zintarim. I don't, I think it might be called the Zintarim. It doesn't really matter, I guess. Um, but for me, uh, in the, my first, uh, campaign, I had the, just a standard, pretty standard thieves guild, um, led by, uh, a guy named Vance Hoppe. And Vance Harper uh, actually ended up splitting with several members. So the Thieves Guild split and became the Harpers. In my world, they're like information brokers. Um, they have a whole network. And whenever you need information for a price, they can get find you out almost anything. Mm. Um, so that's one split of the Thieves Guild that's more nonviolent and information exchangey. The other one is the Zentarim, which is essentially for me the Assassin's Guild. They're all about... Um, just contracts. They're very shady. Um, for me in Waterdeep, uh, they can magically give people tattoos um, from a distance. And if you get a tattoo on your hand, uh, if anyone sees it, they can kill you and bring your body into this interim for a price. Oh, um, oh my. And so so people are really afraid of this interim because if they accidentally wrong them, suddenly they wake up with a tattoo on their hand. And the, the whole Assassin's Guild and most of the city is after you. That's really um, scary. So it's Yikes. it's it's really cool. I don't know really much of anything about the 5e canon version of that, um, but I think it's a really good scare tactic and like kind of spooky, shady organization um, that is kind of more urban focused, but could be really fun. Have any of your players had tattoos from the Zentaria? Uh Yes. And they, so they were, uh, yeah, it, it's a yeah. One of my players just got a little rowdy um, with someone who ended up being a member of the the uh, Zentarim, and so he got a tattoo. But they ended up that was on the the Rise of Tiamat campaign. Mm-hmm. They ended up leaving the city to go you know fight the dragon cult elsewhere, so they didn't really have to deal with with the the Zentarim. But if they would have stayed, yeah, they would have been. Does he still have it, it or does it go bad. away? So so he had it, I guess. It never really was addressed because they never really went back um, and the campaign ended. Mm-hmm. But I guess maybe there's a range on it or something or maybe there's a time period on it or maybe it's there forever. I don't know. I probably would have just chose whatever's most compelling. I yeah. haven't really. Where does yeah. this but spot appear on your body? Uh, the hand. So um, a lot of people will be distrustful of people wearing gloves or if they're doing business, they'll say take off your left left gauntlet um, just to make sure they're not you know wronging the Zentarim accidentally. Cool. Um, I would put it so, like right so, on their face. Oh yeah, maybe that'd be better. But I always had it on the hand so they could kind of hide it. Mm. Um, and it, it's not like they walk in. T- <laughs> it's not like I'm thinking of the old West trope where the piano stops and everyone <laughs> looks at you. <laughs> um, but it is, I like how uh, a lot of times when people get the mark of this interim, they uh, just have to leave town immediately. Mm. They're just like, they have to go into exile. Um, and it's, it's a really cool way for this interim to kind of, pull puppet strings um, and be the behind the scenes and never really have to leave the shadows. Um, it's yeah, it's, it's a cool, I would recommend anyone, maybe not this interim, but just have like a cool assassins guild. That's kind of always looming over urban centers. Um, that can be really fun. Wait, to so with. they can cast a spell that puts this black spot on somebody. Is it possible yes. to learn this power? <laughs> <laughs> uh i don't know i would i would like to say that it's a high level spell and if maybe i had a uh arcane trickster rogue get to like level 
you know, 16 or 17, I, I would give them the option to learn that spell. What if you could, like, um, what if you just fake, like, put a tattoo? Illusion? Or no, like, just put a fake tattoo, just paint it on someone. I'm thinking you could. Oh, yeah, you could definitely do that. I mean, if they didn't notice, like, if they were really drunk, yeah, there's definitely, I would say, canon instances of, yeah, some guy getting drunk and uh, some guy that doesn't like him just making the mark mm. artificially on his hand and then that drunk guy just being killed. Yikes. Oof. Yeah, it's a really cool I so this is a good example of um a faction and a network kind of creating a system in the city that completely changes a lot of things. Hmm. Um so it, it really affects the world in a big way. It's not just like the Lord's Alliance who are just a bunch of rich people. Um it's like it's it really affects kind of the dynamics of the underworld, um, uh, which is is really cool. I like having that shadowy faction in the background. That's great. I think that you've done more with these factions uh than i ever have certainly and maybe more even than the official material does well see i think it's just because like i said it's not none of my creativity or work it's really just living and breathing and just playing a ton of D D in this world that's allowed these factions to grow and become interesting and become dynamic so yeah like i said a good faction um should have like a good motto and all the things we talked about but then it will grow and change and adapt just like a character would mm -hmm. um through over many sessions Okay, so um, I'll shift gears a little bit, and during my research for this episode, I went to my favorite RPG that has a big faction game, and that game is called Blades in the Dark. If you don't know about this yes. game, you should Google it, buy it, and read it, but I think they do have a free preview PDF you can get your hands on. It's uh, bomb. It, yeah. It's bomb. So um, with that in mind, I pulled, I think there's like 36 factions in the game. I pulled my favorite, my favorite five, and I just have their names. And I would like us to go through them and kind of make up what we would think they do based on only their oh. name. Okay. All right. The first uh, faction is called the Unseen. Ooh. Ooh. I'm thinking rogues, illusion wizards, maybe like this interim in my game, like maybe assassins. I imagine just, huh. I'm imagining a kind of like a secret society that's pulling political strings without being seen so they they do a lot of high level political intrigue the illuminati yeah okay yeah yeah I, I think that that's really cool i think what's it called um waterdeep dragon heist does this um, well just the city of waterdeep in the 5e canon is pretty cool because they're uh yeah the lords of waterdeep mm -hmm. um are like there's like one open lord that's basically like the mayor um, but they oftentimes get assassinated because they have so much power and they're in the open. Mm. And the other eight are completely unknown. Um, like there's whispers or rumors of of who an, a, a lord of Waterdeep might be. But all of the city, the major city politics uh, goes through people you don't even know. Yeah. Which is so interesting. It kind of does have that Illuminati um, feel. It does. When I hear the unseen, I think of in Sherlock Holmes, he had an information network that was homeless people and orphans. Oh. And so he could just pass the word to like keep a watch out for a certain person and they would all talk to each other and he was paying them constantly. Yeah. And so he could talk to any homeless person in the city, I think in London in his case, and he could gather info. So that would be my version of the unseen. That's cool. That's yeah. cool. I like that. It's almost like the Harpers in my game. Like I think it's important to have like kind of an information broker, like an information network, just so players, if they want to seek something out, don't have to hire a private eye. You know, they can just talk to, like you said, like a homeless person or a member of the Harpers that are just there. Mm -hmm. All right. Next from Blades in the Dark is The Grinders. 
<laughs> oh man. Uh, this I is would the, say uh, this is like a trade union, like just a group of blue collar, like it was just the solid <laughs> laborers union. That's what I think of. I don't know why. It's pretty good. <laughs> pretty good. Um, I'm thinking a butcher's guild. Ooh. So th- these are people who handle just meat in the city. So it is both a labor union, um, but also they have big connections to the mob. And these are like, they're called, they're called wet work people. Um, they will kill a person and, and dispose of the body. Oh, that's great. So it's like almost like a, a double meaning of butcher. It is. Like they're kind of mercenaries as well. Yeah, for sure. That's super cool. And then they have the, like the freezer, um, you know, the ice rooms or whatever to preserve bodies. Um, of course, oh. I don't think they're serving bodies, but that could definitely be a wrinkle in one of the adventures where oh. um, as a big punishment, they definitely do that. Oh, yeah. I, and I like the idea of it being just kind of a strict rules based almost like they're kind of punch card villains like they're just they're <laughs> just punching the clock like they're not evil they're just kind of blue collar guys that are good at killing mm. here i go killing again <laughs> hey jimmy kill that guy over there another day right. another dollar what can i say i'm good at killing <laughs> what can i say listen if you ever need anybody murdered please give me a call you get, you're very giving discreet. him a card i have no code of ethics i will kill anyone anywhere children animals old people doesn't matter i just love killing all right <laughs> um david did you have an idea for the grinders or no no i was gonna make a bad joke oh, okay well mission accomplished <laughs> Yeah, the, uh, this is gonna be a, a tender grinder joke, I'm sure. It was exactly that. <laughs> yep. <laughs> My third pick from the Blades of the Dark is the Church of Ecstasy. Oh yes. Oh. oh we haven't man. done much with so, religious organizations yet. Ooh, we should definitely mention that. So yeah, a little bit of a tangent. Yeah, religious organizations I think are really, really crucial um, to have in a world with gods. Like obviously, if there are gods. They're going to be, um, whether it is a cult or a religious institution or um, a group of worshipers, whatever, there's going to be organizations around the service or worship of certain deities. Um, Occasionally you'll have, uh, what do they call it, like universalist Unitarians who uh, worship kind of all the gods and you can kind of have the whole pantheon. Other times there are ones that serve very specific gods. Um, So this requires... A little bit of world building um like we we always recommend don't get too caught up just focus on the important stuff um but think about if there is a religious organization in my world like the order of the gauntlet um that has all the clerics the monks the um all the the holy wielders um follow arion who is like a depending on who you ask lawful good or neutral good goddess um who you know bestows all like radiant damage and healing Um, and so that whole thing has to be organized around her. And she's pretty simple because she's kind of just like, think, you know, like the, um, New Testament God, um, like just normal kind of standard, good God, goddess, should I say? Uh Um, and so other, other gods will be worshiped by other people. Obviously, if you live in a pretty lawful or a pretty good, uh, city, like it's, you're not going to be huge religions worshiping like Vecna or like some evil God um, because those would look more like cults and they would be outside the city and they would be more nefarious. Mm. Um, So yeah, there's a pretty obvious thing. Like if there are gods and goddesses and a pantheon of deities, there will be organizations and factions that follow them um, or maybe give sacrifices to them and rewards for powers Um, Or even just, like, work for free for them in order for divine favor. Um, So really um, 
think about how the gods and goddesses work in your game. And then however those D&D or those deities work, you can kind of build organizations around them. Or the opposite is true. If you have a cool organization um, that you want to have in your game, you can build a deity around that faction. The players are not going to know which came first. Mm-hmm. Um, so really be thinking um, how religion can can play a part. Because it really, thinking from history, it's a huge part. Like the yeah. Catholic Church in the medieval era, you know, they had immense power. And that was without, like, the gods having the abilities to walk the earth. So, like, think of how how important religious organizations would be in a world where, like, um, prayers are literally answered immediately. And there's, like, it's going to be a very important part of people's of people's lives. So really, I'd encourage at least to have one or two pretty big religious organizations in your world at least. I think it's also interesting to have factions who interpret the tenets of the same god differently. Oh, So yes, you mentioned yeah. earlier, Jake, your faction says all must be healed or whatever it was. And may- uh-huh. maybe that is a, a twisting of commands given by a god, right? Like, And maybe some other faction says, no, we must not heal everyone. Uh, and so this is another layer of faction conflict if you add this uh, this divine um layer to it oh that's so yeah i really i think i'm loving that uh that that motto all must be healed um which is i'm thinking of like a hunter out in the woods like like shooting a deer and the wounded deer is running away um and suddenly like he runs across like a roving druid that uh follows that religion and he just like heals the deer and the deer runs off and the dude's like what the (laughs) or they walk into a battlefield and they're healing both sides yeah yes yeah Oh man, lunatics! Uh... <laughs> so going back to the factions that we're kind of uh, interpreting from Blade to the Dark, the Church of Ecstasy. Hmm. Oh man! So I love this. Could go so many different ways. What, what I immediately thought of was not a normal religious institution. Uh, I imagine it would be in a more conservative town that doesn't believe in drinking or that sort of thing. So this is. In reference oh. to maybe like the red light district, <laughs> so yeah, it's it's a church that they uh, they maybe they run speakeasies mm. and things of that nature. Oh, so it's not a religious organization at all. No, it's just a playful name for like yes. sin. So in oh, a, yeah, in, a, a in a very conservative town, right? So yeah. Oh my gosh, that's what oh, I. Oh, that's. He's like I worshipped yeah. at the Church of Ecstasy all night, and I have a hangover now. <laughs> yeah. I, I really like that. I, I was thinking more of it being a church, but a church devoted to, like, the goddess of pleasure. Yeah. And so all they do is, like, drink wine and have orgies and do drugs. And, like, um, yeah, it's maybe it's more cult-like. Yeah. Um, but it's all about pure and total pleasure all the time. It's just hedonism um, um, or ancient Greek Yeah, yeah exactly. Culture. Yeah, yeah. Hedonism um, to its extreme. Um, and almost it's like, yeah, it could be, you could interpret that in different ways. Like David said, that could be almost a good thing in like a prohibition style, like very conservative community, or it could be like a really bad thing in a community that's doing fine, but it's just taking people and almost making them addicted and, and killing them. Mm. So yeah, that could, oh man, (laughs) that name has so much weird (laughs) connotation. It definitely has a cult vibe to it. Um, I'm imagining from Bioshock Infinite, the way they did their cult of, um, what was his name? Oh. The bearded guy. Uh, Comstock? Yes. 
Father Comstock, yeah. Because anything like the Church of something that's, uh, I don't know, ecstasy has got such a worldly feel to it. Um, it's definitely up to no good. Yeah. yeah. Or Well, I, I like David's interpretation of it being a playful kind of joke about <laughs> the society that it's in. Like that too. <laughs> well, because then it feels like um, a smuggling operation. So it's not quite Thieves Guild, but it's just like people yeah. who supply these underground bars. It's kind of like the mafia, yeah. the mob. Yeah. yeah, it's prohibition style missions. Yeah. <laughs> uh, right. The next one we have is the Deadlands Scavengers. Ooh. So this yeah, this feels post-apocalyptic. It's got some built-in uh, flavor and world. Definitely, uh, they are people who go out and venture into areas that other people don't. Yeah, I'm already seeing somebody tougher than your average citizen if they're scavenging in in whatever the deadlands are. Very gruff. Gruff. Yeah, gruff. I'm I'm almost thinking of how it David did the last one. Like, what would be a playful? Um, take on this and almost if you could have like a cult of like nihilism that like uh maybe an apocalyptic cult that thought the world is ending in like this amount of time so it doesn't matter Mm. so all the members of the cult are just kind of nihilists that kind of wander around um calling calling the city the deadlands oh no and they're just like oh (laughs) oh they don't believe in personal property so they just steal everything yeah they just kind of wander and uh are just kind of vagrants yeah So yeah, I don't. So I don't think. LA. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if they could exist for very long in a city because I mean, if you've got people openly stealing yeah. stuff, like they're going to get driven out. Um, so it, yeah. it maybe it is that mad cult uh, <laughs> once again. Ooh, or almost like they're being controlled by a mind flayer in the end. Like that's the reveal. Oh. Is it like all these people are just sent into the city to cause like just sow discord and chaos? Um, yeah. Yeah, and it just maybe to, to prepare for an invasion, they're just the mind flayer sets them in on there just to cause chaos in the city before the landing, the mothership arrives. <laughs> I, I would just take a more literal approach for my interpretation. Um, yeah, I remember in one of my campaigns, I had the uh, the part of the world where elves were from was sort of annihilated, and it was called the I think it was called the Deadlands or something like that. And so um, having a team of people who are loosely affiliated who will team up and go in, um, probably this is the people that the party would be working with as they're delving into these ruins and scavenging. Yeah, yeah. All right, the last one that inspired me is very simply the city council. Ah. Says organized crime to me. Really? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. Because I I like it also, yeah, it could be a playful uh, interpretation. Yeah. Yeah. But I, yeah, I like just in general interpreting how the city council works or how the government works or how bureaucracy or I, I think all of us are in a weird place where, um, or not a weird place, but we, I guess, interpret our cities and stuff a little more towards like the Renaissance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but if you really wind it back to like medieval high fantasy there is not going to be a city council. No. There's going to be like maybe a mayor, but most likely a baron or a noble person. Um, and it's going to be much more, there's not going to be bureaucracy. No, it's going to be much more hierarchical. Um, so yeah, be thinking about that when you're making your factions. Um, is this society more modern and democratic and meritocracy, or is it, you know, more authoritarian and hierarchical and just ancient? Um, Cause that'll really determine how the city uh functions um but because i'm i'm thinking of just a standard the city council um that maybe you have to go uh argue your case in front of or something works kind of like the supreme court 
Yeah, or, or whatever the Wild West version of uh, a city council would be. Because the, the thing <laughs> is, is that D&D is not really medieval fantasy anymore, and it hasn't been no. ever. Because um, if you really go and read medieval history, um, you wouldn't want to play a game <laughs> set no. in there. No. You'd, you'd just be a peasant who no. works until their joints fail, and then they die. <laughs> and then they repeat. Yeah. Well, you're the king. I didn't vote for you. <laughs> Yeah, so city council, I think, um, if we're going playful with it, then um, what I'm seeing is, once again, like a mind flare or some kind of mind control thing. Uh, he's at like a board meeting, Aww. and all the other people are sitting there sort of like flopped over in their chairs. And whenever he wants something, they all agree. Oh, oh. so it's they're like high members of, like they're, they're all the other guild leaders? Yep. Oh, that'd be such a good reveal. It's like, you are cordially invited to the city council meeting. Mm. Um, and you, all the guild leaders will be in attendance and like the players show up and it's just a boardroom with a bunch of like different guild leaders that are just drooling or slumped over. And there's just in a huge chair that spins around. There's just a mind flayer who's like, welcome to the city council. <laughs> and that's, that would be his name is the city council because you can't pronounce his mind flayer name. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Creepy. That's cool. Well, that's all for factions. I think it's time we move into the question vault. Welcome to the question vault. Each week we answer one of your questions. You can submit your question to voxarcanapodcast at gmail.com. This week's question is from Mitch Barron, who actually broke the rules and submitted a question to Twitter, which we will also accept grudgingly. Uh, you can do that at, <laughs> at voxarcanapod on Twitter. We'll answer it, but... We won't be happy. <laughs> <laughs> Mitch asks, what is your perfect four-person group for Dungeon of the Mad Mage? Ooh, little uh, Ooh. composition question. Ooh. So I guess, because, yeah, I think a lot of players are about to start the Dungeon of the Mad Mage that just came out mm. um, for 5e. So that is a good question. What would be... Now, if we should answer this in two ways and see if it's different. What would be your perfect group to be a player in? Or what would be your perfect group to be a dungeon master for and why would those be different i mean i could dungeon master for anybody i just don't know how far they would get so if they oh, bring yeah. in tough, if they dude. bring in four fighters wow. like four like two yeah. range two melee um Oof. i want to see how that goes yeah <laughs> yeah but that's not my perfect one um i guess if i was playing it would be different so yeah. i think that here would be my i guess ideal party it would be a divination wizard Okay. Some sort of bard, the thief rogue, and I think a paladin. Yeah, hmm. pretty good. That's a good one. That way you have healing, you have traps that you can deal with, you have magic, you have damage. You got pretty much everything that you need. Yeah. I think for me, I um, having read through about half of Dungeon of the Mad Mage, there's, oh, there's so much crazy nonsense. Um, so I'd probably want the player's... Or to be in a party full of players that have a lot of utility. So I think like a war wizard, uh, a lore bard, um, maybe like an assassin rogue, um, and then like maybe a uh, a druid mm. to have all that different utility of different types of animals mm -hmm. um, would probably be the best. Because yeah, there's just, it's so varied and each level is so different and it's not, it's not like Chult. Um, from Tomb of Annihilation in the way that it's like a jungle. So it's like, okay, I'm a ranger with specialization in jungle terrain. It's going to help you immensely 
Whereas there's there's so much variance in the Dungeon of the Mad Mage that you'd want to have as much utility as possible in my mind. Interesting. Yeah. Um, uh, so obviously I think Mitch is playing with four people because I first of all I would say bring five if you can just so you have that <laughs> bring an army Mitch right like I've played enough <laughs> World of Warcraft to know you need the, the three DPS a tank and a healer uh, but for D&D I think you actually don't need a devoted healer I like David's idea of a paladin because they're just so tanky and so useful um, and a bard because they're both and a bard. kind of they both can heal, but they're both and they both they are, both have be considered a lot of utility. Useful. Same thing with the divination wizard, where you can those extra portents are so good. Oh I'm, yeah, I might bring a cleric just for um, the destroy undead or whatever it's called, the divine channeling. Oh, yeah, a light cleric. Because you never know when you're going to find undead, and in what is it like eighteen floors, right? I mean, I did that in. Uh, well, I got to. I for anyone that doesn't didn't know. I uh, went back to California, and we uh, I got to play in Will's Tomb of Annihilation campaign, and they were in said Tomb of Annihilation, and I got to be um, for a one... I was only there for one session, but I was a light cleric, um, and that helped so much against undead, like yeah. just blasting and turn undead, and then even speak with dead was really great, like a way to uh, <laughs> kind of allow the dungeon master to give more information. Didn't um, you try that, and yeah. the soul just like floated away because of the... Um... The death curse. Oh yeah, <laughs> but he was, didn't he say something as he was floating away? He's I think like, he just like screamed. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe a cleric. I don't know because I just I don't think that D and D needs a dedicated healer. I think you just need as much utility as possible. So, um, but yeah. yeah, I think David's pick is my pick as well um, because I'd be more interested in running it and challenging the players. So yeah. hopefully that helps Mitch think, pick his uh, his group. Yeah, you want you want options. Um, but I, I really think D and D five E is so balanced that um, you're you're not going to be in too tro- too much trouble, um, at, you know, regardless of what you pick, as long as everyone isn't the same class and subclass. But I really think you could do just as fine in the dungeon with the every player is the same class, but everyone's a different subclass. Um, yeah. I really think that would even work. I think so. Honorable mentions would be uh, warlock because. You get stuff back on a short rest if you're in a dungeon. Ooh, Same yep. thing with fighter. Yeah. Um, and then maybe barbarian. Yeah, samurai fighter. Samurai fighter. Samurai fighter is Ooh. great. Um, I One of the players in my group, I'm about to start the Dungeons of the Mad Mage, uh, is a shadow sorcerer. Um, and he, he got to the level where he can see through his own darkness spell, mm. which is so good. Because I'm realizing, like, he does it, and it's like, okay, none of my bad guys can see anymore. And it's like, but this the sorcerer can. And it's like, ugh, I'm going to have to get much more creative um, about encounters um, now that there's that little wrinkle in it. So Warlocks can do the um, same thing. With Devil Sight? Yeah. Yeah. Right. yeah, so it's... I'm excited, and I hope you're excited too, Mitch. Good luck with whatever four-person group you uh, end up delving into the dungeon with. Our mailbag is looking a little light, so make sure to submit your questions. Through any medium you can think of. Except carrier pigeon. Because my roost is dirty. Oh, well, I mean, it's always dirty. Thanks for listening to Voxercana episode 36. I'm William. I'm Jake. And I'm David. We'll see you next time. Follow us on Twitter at Voxercana Podcast. Our Facebook and Instagram are both at Voxercana Podcast. And our Gmail is Podcast at gmail.com. I'm really hoping that somebody will do a supercut of every time we said faction this episode. <laughs> <laughs>
and it'll be like two minutes of just exhausting faction, faction, faction. It's like that clickle article, or maybe it was just a YouTube video of uh, every time uh, Home Improvement, every time Tim Allen grunts, <laughs> and it's a super cut. It's like, huh? 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 <laughs> and it's like twenty minutes long. <laughs> Uh, my other favorite is uh, pro wrestlers when they're doing their little interviews, but it's yeah. every time they inhale. <gasps> oh, yeah. It's, like, <gasps> it's, it's really <laughs> something else. 